um, depression. We've looked at doubt. Next week, we're looking at death, so don't miss that one. I guess that's the one you can't miss, um, unless Jesus comes first. Uh, but this week, we're in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is it's kind of one of the highlights of, of the Bible. It's one of those passages, if you want to memorize something, memorize the first half of Romans 8. And if you enjoy it, why not memorize the rest of it as well? But to give us a bit of context, Paul uh, has been writing about the inner struggle that Christians face. Um, it's about doing what we, what we don't want to do. He says in Romans 7, I, 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 I find this happening. I, I decide this is what I need to do, and then I, I steadfastly don't do it. And then what I shouldn't do, that I do. It, does anyone else ever do what you don't want to do and don't do what you do want to do? Okay, there's a few people smiling at me. This is, this is uh, the life that we have. But, says Paul, who's going to save me? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what we read at the very start of, of Romans chapter 8. And we looked at that and how, how God has done what we couldn't do. He's given us his spirit. It's, it's like we got a, a, a new navigation system in us. The spirit whispering, saying, Go this way. We, our, our sinful nature, well, it's hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will, says Paul. But now God moves in and says, why don't you follow me? And then we have, we have to choose. Will we listen to our sinful nature, which leads to death? Or will we listen to the Spirit of God, which leads to life and peace? And Paul says those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. In other words, those who by the Spirit's power put to death the deeds of their bodies are children of God. And by the Spirit's power just means the Spirit says, hey, let's not do this. And we go, yeah, I, I, I want to do it, but maybe not. We should do a whole sermon on how to do that, shouldn't we, at some stage. But... What I want to focus on to start today is that we really are God's children. Some, some of us Christians can get stuck in Romans chapter 7, doing what we don't want to do and not doing what we do want to do. Uh, and we might find ourselves wondering, am I really God's child? Paul says, if, if you've got the Spirit living in you, you belong to Jesus. And incidentally, you get the Spirit by trusting Jesus. Jesus says that all that God requires of you is to believe in Him. He says uh, believing in Him involves following Him and obeying Him, but it's not, it's not rocket science. Paul says in chapter 8, verse 14 of Romans, that, that one who is led by the Spirit of God is a child of God. We are a child of God if we are following God. A child of God is not just someone who knows what God wants. The demons know what God wants. A child of God is someone who sets out to do what God wants. James, Jesus' brother, who thought Jesus was mad and then must have seen the resurrected Jesus because he changed his mind <laughs> totally. James said, a faith without works is dead. 
And that's exactly what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 8. He says those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Those who, who follow the Spirit, who, who don't just hear him saying uh, this, is, this is the way to go, but, but say, yes, I want to go that way and set out to go that way. Paul says that God, uh, when he saved us, didn't give us a spirit that makes us fearful slaves again. He, he didn't save us so that he could hold it over us like a concrete block, a, 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 a big stick to threaten us with. It's not as if God stands there going, I've done so much for you. Don't you remember you've just done communion? I didn't have to do that. You better shape up or ship out. That's not the spirit that God gives us. That's the road back into fear. Have I done enough? Am I good enough? Sorry, I'm, I'm totally distracted. If just everyone turn and look at Helena. She looks, I, I think she killed 14 sheep to come here this morning. Am I warm enough? But you know, a lot of us here come from legalistic backgrounds where that has been our approach to God. Am I good enough? And we're constantly ticking boxes and going, well, you know, if, if I don't, if I'm not good enough, God's going to knock me back. God's going to say, well, why weren't you good enough? But that's, says Paul, is not the spirit that God's given us. He's, he's given us given us his own spirit, the spirit of adoption. If, if God were going to be standing there to knock us back, there would be no way that we could say with Paul, Romans chapter 8 verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. That's not a, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus and tick all the boxes. That's just, there is no condemnation for all those who belong to Christ Jesus, full stop. He gives us the spirit of adoption. Yes, we are to put uh, the sins of our bodies to death. We are to be led by the spirit because who we are has changed. We are now children of God. We are Jesus' people. And the spirit of God testifies, witnesses to our spirit, speaks to us and says, you are a child of God. Now, you also have the devil whispering at you going, no, you're not. But God's Spirit says, you are a child of God. Leads us to say, Abba, which is Aramaic for father, for, for dad. It's a familiar way to speak to God. It's, it's the way Jesus spoke to his dad. Not, I heard a wonderful quote that said, Christian speakers, you can define them as people who only have problems in the past. So let me share. It's a past thing, but it's still an ongoing journey with me. Not too long ago, I realized that more often than not, when I prayed, I prayed to God or Jesus. Just think for yourself, what, 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 or maybe Lord. Personally, I have a tendency to live out of a spirit of fearful slavery. That's my history and my background and where I come from. Um, I, I know and I knew that God is my father, but in my interactions with him, I, I think I, 
I have a tendency to deal with him more as judge or king or authority figure. Does anyone else know about that? And it's true that God is the judge and God is the king and he is the greatest authority figure there is. But what Paul says to us now is that God wants us to relate to him on a different level. God wants us to relate to him as our dad. And I know coming here today, we all bring different baggage with us about what dad means. Some of us have had wonderful dads. I've been blessed with a wonderful father. Some of us have had horrible dads. If you are a dad, just know that in some way you have messed up your children's lives. Mums as well. That's what we do. We're humans. We're all broken. But, but when Paul speaks about God being our father, he, he wants us to understand that he is the ideal dad. You know, the kind of dad who can do anything, who can fix any problem who is good for a laugh and good for a cry. The kind of dad who, when you bring your artwork where you've managed to go in the lines and outside the lines, sticks it on the fridge and goes, isn't this incredible? Reg tells the story of a neuroscientist with, with uh, pictures of brain scans or brain slices or whatever, synapses. Synapses, you heard of last week in the sermon. He's got pictures of synapses. You told us this story, didn't you? Uh, he's got it all on there, and, and then he's got a picture of his child right in the middle. That's the kind of dad our dad is. And I, I'm consciously choosing to speak to my father when I pray now. Um, I thank God for that. I think that's the spirit moving, and and I, I, I think we have to make that conscious choice. And as I think about that, you look at why did Paul bother writing this? Most of the Bible is written because we need to be reminded of something, isn't it? Paul wrote this to remind us. And I want, I want that God, by his spirit this morning, would remind us of how good a dad he is to us. Our human fathers ideally should show us something of what God's like. You know, kids are meant to hero worship their dads. And, sorry, if you're a mother and their mothers. Um, but God's a dad, so we're talking about dads. Kids are meant to want to please their dad. Dads are meant to be able to do anything and solve every problem until you reach a certain age and you realize your father is fallible. We're never going to reach that age with God. We're meant to want to be like them, to, to copy them. My father is a pastor. I have no memory of this, but according to my mother, when I was knee-high to a grasshopper, I told them that I was going to be a pastor one day. Isn't that interesting? Kids are meant to be able to hero worship their parents. I've been fortunate that I've had wonderful parents, but not everyone has, and and here's the thing, whether we choose to or not, we copy our parents. If you're a parent here, frightening looks on your faces would be appropriate right now. 
I know several people who cannot stand their fathers, the adult people now, uh, and, and they are so upset by the, the sort of things that their fathers do and their characteristics annoy them. And probably not wise to tell this to some of them, but they do exactly the same stuff. They complain, oh, my dad does this and this and this. And you go, uh-huh. Never, ever seen that before. Wouldn't know where you get that from. We copy our parents. And I think when Paul says God has given us a spirit of adoption, what he's saying is that God invites us to copy our father. He invites us to, to put to death the deeds of our body because we want to be like dad. He invites us to follow after the Spirit's guiding because, you know, my dad's the best dad ever. I mean, why would we not do what our sinful nature urges us to do? Well, dad wouldn't do that, so I'm not going to do that. Paul says that as God's adopted children, we are also heirs of God, heirs of his glory. And the word for glory comes from this Hebrew idea for, for heaviness, weightiness. We, we, are, we are heirs of, of just how glorious God is. You, you know when you see something incredibly glorious, like a glorious sunset, most sunsets are not glorious because a glorious sunset takes your breath away. There's like a heaviness to it. It's like, a wow, this is the most amazing that there ever is. It's mind-boggling. It's beyond description. And we get to share in the weightiness of all that God is. His, his might, His power, His reputation, His love, His very being. It's just, you cannot weigh it. It's just so much of it. And we get to be heirs of that. We are adopted by God. If we, if we trust Jesus, His Spirit lives in us. And we want to be like our Father. And we will one day share in His glory, which is good news. Yes. And here's the even better news. If we are heirs of His glory, we are also heirs with His sufferings. Why does Paul go there? Come on, Paul. I was enjoying the glory bit. I'm not a fan of suffering, if you don't mind. I mean, think about it. Jesus came and, and the light came into the world. The world did not know him. They rejected him. Uh, even his own people rejected him. Jesus wasn't received well by so many people. He was mocked. He was tortured. He was betrayed. He was executed. We are his followers. We can we can expect nothing less. But I want to suggest to you this morning that perhaps when Paul speaks about sharing in his sufferings, he's speaking about more than just sharing in the physical sufferings of Jesus. And I want to suggest this because there's some of that as we come towards the end of Romans chapter 8, but, but the context up to this point has been about the internal Suffering of people who are now adopted as God's children. He's been speaking about the battle between our old self and the new self. Galatians chapter 5, Paul says that uh, the sinful nature gives you desires which are the opposite of what the Spirit wants. 
uh, and the Spirit gives you desires which are the opposite of what the sinful nature wants. And these two forces, says Paul, are constantly fighting each other in you. It's not nice. It's a bit of struggle. It's a, it's a suffering. Did Jesus ever experience that kind of, of struggle? Yes. He never sinned, but he was tempted in every way just like us. He wanted very much not to die, but he submitted to God. We've, we've spoken about a few at communion. The, the Christian life until Jesus comes back and makes us new is, well, it's like this. We, we suffer in that we constantly have to be putting to death the old self. The self which promises life and goodness and pleasure now. And we are adopted as God's children, but we don't yet have our full rights as his adopted kids. And those full rights include our resurrection bodies, bodies in which there is no trace of sin, where there is nothing pulling us away from God. Hebrews uh, chapter 8 quotes the Old Testament verses 10 and, uh, to 12-ish and, and says, uh, in those days, in the days when Jesus comes back, nobody will say, know the Lord, because we will know God. It, 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 that's just who we will be. There will be no struggle to go, well, will I follow God or not? That, that's just who we will be. There will be no suffering. A while back, there was a, a furore about America using waterboarding and all sorts of horrible torture techniques to try and, and break people to give them uh, intelligence. Not very intelligent. They were using, though, suffering as a way to break people, to get them to give up. And I wonder if Paul's argument here isn't, don't break. The suffering of having to choose God over your sinful nature is nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed to you. Or to put it in a different way, why settle for a chocolate chip cookie when there's birthday cake later? Oh, and by the way, the chocolate chip cookie has probably got botulism. Anyone for a cookie? The world's not what it's meant to be. The whole of creation's not what it's meant to be. When humanity rebelled against God... A curse fell on us and through us on the world. God cursed the world. We, we were meant to rule the world under God. And when we told God where he could get off, well, we're not very good at it, are we? We have a tendency to destroy, to ruin, and it's all about us. It's about our selfish pride. America dropped out of the Paris Agreement or the Paris Concord or whatever it is, the climate change stuff. And they did it because it's not good for America. I'm sure the island nations which are slowly sinking under the waves are very happy that America's happy. As humans, 
don't do a good job of looking after this world. And we don't do a good job because we're not doing it under God or for God. By the way, us Christians should be more green than the greenies. Because God's creation is not just a throwaway thing. God's creation is groaning in eager anticipation, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. And that includes daughters. But sons especially, sons in that, in that culture, if you were adopted as a son, you got the full rights, you got the inheritance. And, and, and the eager expectation is a beautiful word um, that I found out about. When Paul speaks about eager expectation, you're supposed to picture creation standing on tippy toes, neck up, leaning forward, gazing into the distance, you know, kind of like <gasps> waiting, just, just stretched out. You, you can't. You can't bear the excitement of what's coming. Because when Jesus comes and when God's children are revealed, when we are made and give a new and, and given our full rights as God's children, then creation will be set free, liberated from death and decay, and it's going to be perfect, and God's going to remake everything and all the mess that we've made. God's going to fix up. By the way, that's not an excuse to make a mess. Um, just because God can fix it, don't let's mess it up. Let's, let's do what our dad would do. Let's, uh, creation's just going, I want to share in the freedom of God's children. And it's groaning right now. Paul says it's groaning as with, as with birth pains. Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 spoke about the end of the world and he spoke about there being false teachers and wars and famines and earthquakes. And he said these are just the start of the birth pains. Creation longing for the day when Jesus makes it right again. For the day when, when you and I, God's children, are fully adopted as God's children. When, when, when this, this part of us that causes us suffering, uh, the sin in the world and in us, is done away with. Creation's going, ah, oh, come on! Bring it on already! And we Christians groan. No, Nick, don't, don't talk rubbish. We Christians rejoice. I'm H-A-P-P-Y all the time. I broke my leg, but that's okay. I'm happy. We groan. We go, no, God. Come on, bring it on. And we groan, I want to suggest... Not despite the fact that we have God's Spirit, but because we have the Spirit of God living in us. Because we know that we are not yet what we will be. Because we long for the day when we are given our full rights as God's children. When death and decay and sin and suffering have no part in us. We've been given a taste of it and we're just like, I, I can't not have more. Now, if you take this out of context, you can string me up for heresy, but the Spirit of God doesn't satisfy. Because if God's Spirit in us satisfied us, we'd be like, oh, that's okay. Whenever you're ready, God. But God gives us His Spirit so that we will not be satisfied. So that we will go, no, we want more. 
We want more, God. We want, we want to be free from the suffering. God's Spirit is something of the future brought into our present lives, whispering to us, this is who you are. This is who you really are. And this is who God is. He is your Father. He is your good, good Father. Why are you living in this world where where your good Father seems far away? You want more than that. You want to be close to Him. You want to see Him face to face. You are His heir. Live for Him. Don't go down that road. That's the dark road. Go this way. And we go, I want more of this God, more, more, more. And, you know, you groan, you go, ah! <laughs> However you groan, insert your own groans. And Paul's point is this, it's worth it. It is worth it. You know, the easiest way to not suffer as a Christian is to stop being bothered about what God's Spirit says and just do what you want to do. Guarantee you, easy way to avoid suffering now. Has side effects. Has side effects. Serious side effects. That's Paul's point. He's saying, the glory of God is worth it. I am convinced that nothing can be compared, says Paul, to the glory that will be revealed to us. So don't give up on it. Don't let the suffering of of not yet being what God has promised we will be break us. Don't go back into a slavery of fear. Wait patiently and and with endurance. And, And the picture there that Paul has for us is the same picture of creation standing, neck craned forward, looking into the distance. You know, you just cannot wait. Uh, who's our safe church representative? Okay, I'm getting off the chair. <laughs> Wonderful. Following Jesus and listening to the Spirit might not always be the easiest thing. There will be suffering in this world. Suffering because you stand for Jesus that comes from outside you and suffering that comes from within you. And by the way, sometimes you're going to get it wrong. Jesus, he's big enough to cover that. If you're learning to walk, your father doesn't give up on you the first time you fall down and picks you up again. It's different if you refuse to try and walk. Those who are led by the Spirit are children of God, heirs of His glory. Tell each other. It's worth it. And there are no chocolate chip cookies at morning tea today either. I hope. (laughs) Pam.